This is Siobhan, and you're listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast, where we connect the dots for women storytellers. Basically, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. And I was a little bit rude. I didn't even say hi when I first came on, but hey, everyone who's listening. Um, Today, I'm excited because I get to sit down and talk with Christina Rea. She is a New York City-based writer, director, the founder of Congested Cat Productions, and the director of crowdfunding at Seed and Spark. She won Best Director for her feature film, Summit, at Flickr's Rhode Island International Film Festival. She co-created, directed, and produced the comedic web series, Kelsey, which premiered on Blimp TV in September 2013 to rave reviews and consistent press coverage, including a critic's pick and named one of the 19 best comedy web series of 2013 by IndieWire.com. It has over a quarter million views online. She recently finished post-production for her second feature film, About a Donkey, She has also begun pitching what she hopes to be her third feature, Silent Night, which was a quarter finalist at Slam Dance 2016's screenwriting competition. Her other credits as director, producer, and writer includes over a dozen narrative short films that have made official selections at film festivals across the country. Thank you, thank you so much. It's always cool to listen to everybody's um, bio. Uh, when I, was, I didn't know you were going to read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I was like, I can't leave anything out. Like, this is dope. You're supposed to, like, give yourself a pat on the back every now and again. Thank you. You're welcome. So, I like to ask people, um, as you know, quirky questions to start off. So, I wanted to ask you, how does your typical day look like for you? Because you do wear so many hats. Um, that's that's a great question. I've never been asked that before. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much a night person. I tend to stay up late kind of working on my own stuff, whether it's writing or um, if I'm in pre-production like I am right now or when I'm in post, I'm often reviewing uh, stuff like edits or sound design or something like that. And so I tend to wake up a little bit later. Uh, I I largely work from home, which is part of the privilege, I guess, that I have that allows me to wear so many hats. I really wouldn't be able to if I I had to commute into an office. And so um, I get up and the first thing I do is uh, check my email. And I always, I have many inboxes. I have my students bark inbox. I have uh, some film submissions for indie works. I have my personal inbox and I have sort of production related stuff. And so I, I will go through all of them and just try and organize what my day is going to look like. And then, and then it really varies. You know, um, I have meetings, video meetings or calls for Seed and Spark because a part of my job is helping filmmakers launch campaigns for their own projects. And so I spend a lot of my day doing that, talking with other filmmakers. And I try to kind of organize my day based on milestones, like trying to, sometimes it's just, okay, I'm going to clear my inboxes by this time of day. Or I, you know, I have writing group once a week with two of my best friends who are also brilliant writers. And so sometimes it's like, okay, I have to make sure that I have whatever I'm presenting tonight in order by this time. Uh, but, But I try to 
you know, schedule different days of the week as commitments to specific things I'm trying to get done. It's really the only way that I can balance all the things I have going on. I, I very heavily color code uh, my calendar. And, and yeah, and so it's just a lot of, I spend a lot of my day organizing and then talking with people. So do you use any specific apps or does anything help you? Because I know like one of my friends tried to convince me to use like this app, but I'm so old fashioned. Like I have to write it down. It's something about writing it down and marking it off. So do you use anything? I I totally get that feeling. Um, I love writing stuff down and marking it off. It makes you feel accomplished in a way that I think just, you know, pushing a button on your phone doesn't. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have a mix. I, I do kind of live by my phone calendar mm-hmm. and, and reminders for things. I will set reminders for certain things that I absolutely have to do. And then sometimes I'll just kind of put stuff in my notes as like general things I want to write down later. Uh, but I often will have like a daily to-do list that I've actually written down. And then I have a mix of kind of my calendar and Google spreadsheets to sort of organize things more uh, specifically and, and set reminders for myself. Okay, that makes total sense. Um, so I do have another question. Since you do work at home, which is, I can't wait mm-hmm. until I can just work at home only. Um, Right. How do you then, because you are a creative, like, yes, you wear the other hats where you are um, supporting and helping filmmakers, but you are, to your core, a creative. Um, how then do you stay creative? Like, what are things that you do? Um, do you have, like, any rituals or things that you do throughout the day that kind of help you stay inspired? I do. Uh, it's a little bit harder right now because it's so cold, but, and I live in New York, but um, I try to, you know, take walks. Like mm-hmm. I'll go, I'll commit to taking a walk uh, once a day, even if it's just a 10 minute walk around my neighborhood. Um, but I think getting outside and like seeing people mm-hmm. and just watching people interact and kind of be, there's nothing I find more inspiring. And so I try to do that uh, as much as possible. I live right across the street from a school and so that's like really cute sometimes seeing like the kids just being kids and I find that you know inspiring creatively Um, but I try so I do try to actually get out of my house that's a big part of something you have to push yourself to do when you work from home like Mm -hmm. Seed and Spark the company I work for is based in LA and so I I'm kind of on LA time when I'm working and that helps because I'm such a night owl in terms of working late anyway but um, it allows me a certain flexibility where I can just kind of, as long as I don't miss any meetings or anything, I can just kind of step out of my house and and take a walk if I'd like to, or, you know, go grab coffee with a friend. I try to do that. I try to like, once a week, I'll set up some kind of engagement or interaction that is specifically for me creatively and not just for my job. Mm-hmm. And as I said, my, my weekly writing group is, is excellent motivation because I kind of give my, it gives me a deadline and it also is inspiring because they're my best friends. It's kind of, it kind of is like killing two birds. I get to see my best friends once per week, but I also get to kind of bounce ideas around with people who I respect and who I think are extremely talented and the ideas that they pitch will sometimes inspire me. And, and it's just, you know, the more you're around creative people, the more 
creative you feel, I think. And so I just try to surround myself with other creatives as much as possible. Absolutely. I actually think I saw it on your Instagram and I said, I have to get my writing group back together. It definitely inspires you. And you can tell the difference when you aren't around creatives. You um, you feel it. Like, well, I know I do. I'm like, okay, I need to get around people where I can bounce my ideas off of them. So, Right. I was looking like, oh, get it together, Siobhan. Get your group back together. <laughs> um, no, yeah, it's so important. It, it really is. Like, it it definitely helps. So before we uh, go f- uh, any further, I do want to take a little step back uh, just to how you got started as a filmmaker. I actually um, was able to do some research and digging, as I love to do. And... Mm-hmm. I saw that you said a video camera was placed in your hands at the age of 13. And I thought that was pretty dope. And I wanted to ask you one, who gave you the camera? And then how did that propel you to be a filmmaker? So I, um, I guess it's sort of long story, but my, I grew up with a single mom and um, our dad, like wasn't around at all and I think my my brother was having a harder time with that than I was and my mom had read that we couldn't really afford therapy or anything and she had read that um uh like a video camera if it gives you a sense of like control and telling of your story and so she got him she like saved up a ton of money my uh, a ton of money my mom um worked three jobs my whole life and so you know i i definitely get a bit of my work ethic from her but uh she saved up a ton of money and got him a video camera and uh he didn't like care about it at all <laughs> he just <laughs> he was like whatever you know he played with it for a day and was like this is not this is stupid it's not my thing and so i he just sort of like tossed it over to me and um, and I started playing with it and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I started looking through it and I just loved how it kind of, I was able to make my own frame and, and really control what was seen and how it's seen and, and how you can tell a story visually and how you can make a statement with just a visual. And, and that really started to um, appeal to me. And this was actually before I turned 13, but my brother, because it was technically his, ended up selling the camera. And so I, and so I was like, okay, well, he's three years older than me. But uh, I told my mom, like, all I wanted for Christmas was a bit, my own video camera. And so she got me one for Christmas. And that was like my one Christmas present. And I like never put it down. And I would tell people that I wanted to make movies. You know, I started writing short stories when I was five years old my mom will tell you I was always writing stuff and and so being a storyteller was always there but like actually having the camera is what made me start to realize I wanted to make movies specifically and I would tell my family that and my you know my mom my mom's side of the family my mom is from Trinidad and like my mom's side of the family is largely Indian and and Trinidadian and they were all kind of like that's not a thing like I don't even know what you're talking about and they didn't really get it. Like they didn't get what I wanted to do because, you know, I definitely wasn't exposed to anyone who was working in the industry and I didn't really know what it was to make movies, but I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And so I spent a lot of my childhood kind of like 
fighting for my right to do that. My mom was very supportive and was always like, you know, do what you love and that if this is what you love, then great. But I, I largely sort of had a lot of like pushback and eventually I decided I was just like, you know, I'm not going to do something that you consider practical. I'm going to go to film school. I'm going to study film and I'm going to make movies. And, and then, you know, I did. And I just kind of found my way and, and now here I am. I think that's awesome though, that you, cause I kind of went through the same thing. Like instead I did go the practical way and I initially got my undergrad in counseling, but it was like I had this moment like, no, I don't want to be practical anymore because I have had a journal and been writing stories since I was like eight. And it's ridiculous how many journals that I still have that I still write in. And I think that's awesome and pretty amazing that your mom even gave you like that opportunity and then that way to like cope, even though it was originally for your brother, but still. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's still like, you know, she recognized that like this would be a benefit to you. So I think that's pretty dope. And also I know that so you started to fall in love with it and then you went and after high school you took a year off before going actually to film school. But during that during that year you said that you basically worked on honing screenwriting so what what does that actually mean and how did you do that like how do you feel like you better prepared yourself as a screenwriter during that year so I I love how much research you've done (laughs) (laughs) I I, thank you for that question I did spend a year you know part of it was I grew up not really knowing how you actually get into making movies. And all I ever really knew or heard from anyone was that you go to NYU. Mm-hmm. I, knew, I grew up in New York. And my, my like junior year, at the end of my junior year of high school, I um, applied and realized that I wouldn't even be able to afford it. Like they weren't going to give me financial aid. And my mom's income was less than the annual tuition. And so I was kind of like, wow, I'm not going to go to NYU. So I decided to sort of reevaluate and figure out, you know, how do I fit into this world of kind of this sort of very elitist world and this world of money and connections and, 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 you know, what I later understood to be an even more biased world where really like women and women of color and people of color are just not given opportunities largely. Um, but I, I thankfully did not quite realize that at that young age, because I think that that would have been even more discouraging. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, so I decided, okay, I'm going to take a year off and kind of figure out what my other options are. I knew I wanted to stay in New York uh, because I, you know, I love New York and it's home and I'm very close to my mom. I didn't want to leave. And obviously for film, I felt like this is not true anymore, but you know, at the time it was like New York or LA and I definitely didn't want to go to LA. And so I decided to take a year off and I started just reading every screenwriting book that exists. Um, and I just sort of t- started taking that in because I, I had been writing, but I had not been um, writing correctly. I had been telling stories, but I was not formatting my scripts the way that you're supposed to. I was not really doing any of the stuff that is considered screenwriting. And so I just started studying and studying and reading a lot of screenplays, and that was really educational. And I also started 
um, shooting videos and submitting stuff to contests, but I quickly realized that I actually didn't know what I was doing. Um, and that while I did like win some contests, it was very, you know, amateur type stuff and, and, you know, film is so collaborative and I didn't have a, a team or any kind of access to a team because I didn't have peers who, you know, I grew, I went to school and I was like the only kid in my school that wanted to make movies. I thought, you know, that didn't, I went to a public high school. Maybe there were other people who are interested, but it wasn't like this passion that I had. And so after a year of doing that and um, just kind of exploring different meanings of being a filmmaker, I decided, okay, I'm going to go to school. And so I enrolled in Hunter College in Manhattan in their film program. And um, I, I got a lot out of school, I think, in, in terms of learning, like how to analyze film. I got more experience actually working on sets, but I really did love going to film school because I met many of my current collaborators through being in school. A lot of people, the people I ended up hitting it off with most are the people who I think also felt like they didn't have um, access to the industry, but had a passion for making movies and telling stories. And I'm glad that you said that because uh, me and some of my creative friends were talking about that. So um, the part about feeling like you have a passion for it, but you don't have the access to it. Um, do you think that still matters today? And then like, what would you tell someone who doesn't have the access and has the passion? I think it absolutely matters. I think, I think film and for me, you know, I do a lot of narrative film and, and I think that documentaries are extremely important, but narrative film in particular um, is just so, so excellent at, at spreading empathy and making people sort of experience outside of themselves in their own bubble. And I think that it's more important now than ever. And so anyone who doesn't have access to the industry is probably someone who should absolutely be making movies and telling stories because they probably have an experience that's underrepresented and um, is often maybe stereotyped or is just misunderstood. And so, you know, I think that what, what we have the gift of now is a like really accessible technology that isn't what it used to be. You know, now you have a beautiful uh, video camera on your phone mm -hmm. and it's, and it's not really, it's not how much you spend, it's how you use it, you know, and also social media. Um, I, I think like I, I could go on a rant about net neutrality and everything that's happening there, <laughs> but you know, social, social media is, is so important. And I, I just sort of hope for the best there because that's how you, that's how you reach people. And that's how I've been able to find an audience for my work and connect with people and find the people who, who, you know, have been craving the kinds of things that I've been wanting to make. And, um, and so I think that, you know, I always tell people who want to get involved is first find out where things are happening, like find out, what sets there are to work on because the best way to learn is to work on other people's sets and you know everyone can always use a volunteer and so like you want to know how you can get hired volunteer your services as a PA and um, and that's how you can meet people other people that are working and and maybe you'll you know make connections like not I don't mean connections like the way that I think the industry uses them where it's like you work your connections but you make like genuine authentic connections with people on a personal level 
and you find your your tribe you find your you know the people um that want to work with you and collaborate with you and care about the things you care about and will be your you know your film family that's what i call my collaborators my film family and then you just kind of you you do it for me it was like no one was knocking on my door asking to make my films i didn't have any money um, you know, I was going to school full time and working a full time job as well to pay my rent in a very expensive New York City. And um, I found crowdfunding and like I found people online who wanted to see the things I wanted to make. And that's how I essentially started a career without any kind of access. And so I think it is a lot of it is just, you know, finding the people using the internet to, to find those people and getting out and just making, you know, starting relationships, making connections and, you know, not waiting to be picked, but finding your own opportunities, creating your own opportunities. That's a good one-liner. I'm such a fan of one-liners. You said not waiting to be picked. That's really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I think, I think, that, no, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that the, the film industry is a lot, they sort of train you to be picked because we talk about this sort of Hollywood system and you go to LA and you, you know, you, you're someone's assistant and you hope that you can get chosen out of the many assistants or you um, submit to festivals and you just wait and wait and wait, or you submit to grants and you wait and hope to be picked. And, and there's just a lot of that. And, and I think that true independence is, is really you know, taking charge of your own life and your own career and finding a way to tell the story without anyone else um, kind of allowing you to do so. I agree. Um, And when you said that, uh, because I know that you do also assist with crowdfunding at Seed and Spark. So where do you think that filmmakers go wrong? I mean, I know you could probably say a million things, but where do filmmakers go wrong when they, because, okay, let's say I say, hey, I have this project. Now I want to be able to get funding, but I don't want to wait to get picked. Where do people go wrong? Because I see so many projects that kind of fall through the cracks. Um, Mm -hmm. So where do you see us going wrong? I think that, so there's part of crowdfunding, I think that filmmakers have sort of two things that they always, uh, not always, but often do wrong. And one of them is, and they're sort of, they're, they're kind of opposites in a way. But one is that they think they'll just put their campaign up and people will want to support it. And A, that they'll even just know about it and that they'll just support it just because, because they know them or because the idea is really cool, but they don't actually um, reach out to people and give them a very personalized why. Because at the end of the day, I think that most people are like, cool, you know, I'll like that. But you want them to actually take action in order to get them to take action. You have to really speak to them on a personal level and get them to understand why the story matters and why they should care and why your voice is special and unique and the one that should be telling the story. And I think a lot of filmmakers kind of don't either know that they need to do that or don't want to do that. They just want people to recognize their brilliant idea, you know, and and want to be part of that. And, And so that's something that filmmakers often need to kind of embrace 
And, and that's a large part of my job at Stephen Spark is getting them to understand that it is work and that it is a, is, it is a campaign. You're campaigning for support and that you have to, you know, really pitch people and not just a broad pitch, but like very specifically, who are the people you're trying to reach and why should they want this thing that they're not getting elsewhere? And that's it. It's convincing them that they're not getting it elsewhere. Because, you know, we as independent filmmakers don't have marketing budgets. We don't, we can't just like put up billboards. Mm -hmm. We can't reach the masses. And so it's about hitting people on a very personal level and on a very individual level and really doing the work. Um, and then the other thing I think is that filmmakers also feel a little bit, I think part, this really ties into that is that they, they feel a little bit ashamed about having to knock on doors and ask people directly. And so I don't think it's so much like, ego with the first one that they just kind of are like oh I'm so brilliant you should support me but it's that they feel a little bit of shame in asking for money and I think that it's kind of like you have to embrace a different mindset that you're not asking for a handout you're not asking for a favor you're not asking for donations you're asking for people to join you in making something and what you are actually doing is offering them the opportunity to not only watch it when it's done but also be part of the process, this very unique process of creating it. And that's sort of the shift, like the mental shift that I think a lot of filmmakers need to take is say, okay, I'm actually offering something to people. I'm not just asking them. And, and once filmmakers really embrace that and understand that, that's how they find success because it's true. You know, you're not asking for a donation, you're creating something and, and art matters and it's worth paying for. And people want to be, they want to consume it and they want to, be part of making it because it is special and it is cool and it is unique. You are absolutely the right person to do that. <laughs> you just had me over here like, <laughs> you know what? It just changed my mind. I, I totally agree with your second point where you said people feel ashamed, you know, uh, about mm -hmm. asking, but I think that we forget, and that goes back to not valuing our work that we are giving you something in return. Like it's art, you know? Right. And we don't look at it that way. People do look at it like, oh, I'm begging, but it's like, no, you're going to get amazing art after this. So I'm not just taking your money and going about my business. Yeah, exactly. And and that's, so, that's sort of the other like things of how to craft unsuccessfully is making sure that you do deliver on what you're promising people so that they have faith in you for the next time. You know, I've crowdfunded four times myself for three shorts and two features. And so the reason I've been able to do that is because I do make sure that I deliver on what I am promising people. And, and that's a really key component, um, especially in filmmaking, because, you know, it does take a long time to make a film and, and sometimes things don't work out as you plan, but it's all about kind of being transparent and really communicating with the people who supported you. So they understand the process and, and how things can you know, be delayed or, or turn and change, but you know, it's, you want to really communicate with your audience and, and be engaged and create a relationship with them. I agree. That's a good point. I'm going to remember that when I need to do my crowdfunding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I know that you, well, one, I was surprised because I started looking, well, one, I started looking at um, a few of some of the work you've done, but I don't know why it surprises me, but it does. I, it shouldn't. But I was surprised that you did a horror feature. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it was a good surprise. I was like, oh, I have to ask her about it, um, especially because... 
of the recent win for, and why do I have a brain fart, for the um, screenwriting award for the Oscars? Why can I not think? Um, Get out. Yes. It, it made me think about it. So I wanted to ask you, one, how did you get into writing horror? Like, because most people are going to think, oh, a lady is not going to write horror films. But you did. Yeah, no. So, you know, I grew up watching horror movies. Part of it was, you know, having an older brother. But um, I, as I said earlier, my mom worked a lot. And, you know, I, where I'm very close with my mom, but she wasn't always around to really monitor what I was watching. And so I would get my hands on like, you know, stuff that was too old for me. Mm-hmm. And I really, and I really um, loved how much, initially it started because I was, I was so scared of them. And I loved that I could watch something and, you know, hours or days later, I'd still be thinking about it and it'd still be affecting me. And I thought that that was so powerful that, you know, that you can make something, create something, and it would stay with people in this very visceral way. And so that was kind of where my fascination started. And then I really started to dive into, like, the analytical side of horror and how most of horror films, the good ones, and and I think, you know, Get Out is obviously an example of this, and a lot of people like to say that it's new about the genre but I think that's really what the best of the genre has always been is that they're exploring social issues Um, and while there are not many known women um, who have done horror films there are a lot of actually there are a lot of women who have kind of pioneered that side of the industry and on the independent world and are still working in the independent world in the horror genre and doing like really um, great up that's exploring you know like what it means to be a woman and violence against women and and just like the various things that I think are often ignored um in the in the mainstream of of horror and cinema in general and so I loved the idea that I could kind of explore social issues and explore trauma and explore and kind of have like a cathartic experience making something that is very visceral and will affect people and will have this subtext of like a message that I'm trying to say while also being maybe, you know, really entertaining or really fun. And, um, and so that's really what I try to do with my work. It it is kind of like a a vessel for me to channel, you know, things that I find frustrating. uh, And I think that it touches people in that same way because there's something cathartic about watching whatever like the issue is being explored, like get out. I mean, get out is my, I'm, I I love get out. It's my favorite movie of 2017. It's also one of my favorite movies ever. Um, Because to me, it's like the perfect horror movie. It is genuinely scary. It has hilarious moments of levity and it is saying something that truly matters and is doing it so effectively. And it, and it doesn't, it's not like sacrificing um, the story in order to have a message. It is very embedded and like perfectly embedded in the story. Uh, and, and that is the point of the story. And, and so I love that movie. And that's sort of, to me, an example of what horror is and what it should be and what it can be and what I aspire to make. And I think that's um, the thing that people, I guess, have pigeonholed um horror films because a lot of people were very confused when um get out was labeled as a horror film they were like what they they didn't because people have in their mind what it is but i like 
what you said that, you know, it's still like it had a message, like it had a very clear message that I will never forget, like ever. Right. And I I think a lot of people don't think that horror films have messages. Right. And I think that's because like the mainstream horror that's kind of marketed is, is just this sort of, you know, slasher, torture, porn type stuff, you know, like Saw, whatever sequel. Mm -hmm. But, but there's so much quality stuff. It's kind of like, you know, Hollywood movies versus independent movies and the ones that are actually like really effective and are saying something and aren't just like fluffy entertainment are the ones that aren't getting the most attention, you know? And it's the same in the, in the the horror film world as well. The ones that don't get the most attention um, are typically the really good quality ones and not just like a studio film that's being kind of regurgitated out and get out is sort of the exception in that it's so incredibly timely and it has Jordan Peele behind it that allowed it to sort of reach the masses in a way that I think smart horror doesn't usually get to do. Um, But, you know, like Jordan Peele is a huge horror film fan and I feel like you can feel that in the movie and like he clearly loves quality horror films and that's why he made one of his own. Yeah, that's probably as um, much uh, horror I can watch because I can't watch horror films. It makes me have nightmares. (laughs) It makes me have nightmares. It is so bad. Like I used to when I was younger, but now I can't do it. Like I will literally have the worst nightmare ever. (laughs) That's why I was apprehensive about going to go see um, Get Out. But I'm glad I did because I was like, okay, this it wasn't bad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of horror comedy because I like I like mixing genres and I like playing with people's expectations. And so you know that's that's kind of my favorite genre is sort of mixing those two. I will you um, come out with something else. I will watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Since you said you mixed the two, Um, but you also are a director and we haven't really talked about that. Um, When do you, well, when did you realize like, okay, I love writing, but I also love directing. Like, did you have a defining moment where you said, okay, directing is also my thing too? I did actually. Um, I, so I was 11 years old and I was asked to do the like community theater play for kids. It wasn't like a school play. It was like community specifically to be an Annie. Um, And I couldn't sing and I wasn't Annie at all. I definitely wasn't an actor like that, but I was one of the orphan girls. And I did not like the way the woman who was directing it would just sort of tell me what to do. Uh, I didn't agree. I, you know, I was 11 years old, but I didn't agree with her direction, basically. And I had all these, like, opinions about how all the other kids should have been <laughs> doing their, their job, you know. And it's, it really occurred to me that, like, in that moment, I was like, I don't want to be playing this role. I want to be doing what that woman is doing. And that was really a defining moment for me was that, I wanted to be able, I wanted to be able to tell the story as a whole, you know, I I was big picture in that way. Mm -hmm. And that I felt like I had a good eye for like, performances and authenticity um, of relationships and dynamics and the way people interact. And, and that 
that really then made me want to be a director, even though I didn't fully know what, you know, what that meant. It, mm-hmm. it just, it, it, that's where it really translated. And then, and that was before I had a camera and then it kind of all like came into place mm-hmm. when I got to actually use a camera a couple of years later because I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer director. I'm going to make movies. I'm going to tell my own stories. I'm going to direct the actors and shoot it all on the camera, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So for those people who feel like, okay, I love writing and I love directing. I've heard a lot of advice, even when I was um, in school for screenwriting, a lot of advice that was given was basically focus on one. What do you think that a person should just focus solely on writing and then say, okay, I'm going to try directing like a few few years later, or how do you kind of balance the two? You know, I think it's, every person is different. Mm-hmm. I, I am a very sort of like um, type A personality. And so I always want to be doing, doing, doing. And I think that that's sort of my own, thing that I need to kind of balance because my that's obviously not always a healthy way to live. Sometimes you need to relax and step back and like wait, but that is my personality. And so for me, just writing was never enough. I always wanted to um, shoot, the, shoot the film and direct it and learn from that experience. I think a lot of people who want to make films will write a lot and that's very good. You wanna be, you know, get better at writing but you then never actually get to that next stage of directing. And sometimes it, it's sort of like, because you don't think you're ready, or maybe it's because you're afraid to feel like you failed or, or whatever it is. But I know that I learned the most from making films, seeing the end product and seeing that they, you know, the ways that they differed from the script, the, the compromises I had to make, the sacrifices I had to make, the things that I did wrong or could have done better I think that they helped me grow not only as a director but also as a writer and so I do think that if you want to be a writer director then you should be writing and then directing what you write if you only want to be a writer then you should absolutely be writing 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 and trying to connect with someone who wants to be a director but isn't that strong of a writer Mm -hmm. Um, if you are more if if your desire is more to be a director but you feel like your writing needs work then you should be collaborating with someone who wants to write but it is really for me I think that if your desire is to do both then you should do both um you know as long as you for me every film is a learning experience and so I don't nothing is too precious because I know that I have so many stories to tell and nothing is ever going to be perfect and there are so many limitations I make largely no budget projects you know or extremely micro budget projects Mm-hmm. And so I know that for me, it's just like, this is a story that I'm feeling inside that I need to get out and share with the world and have an audience experience. And so it is largely like, okay, the script is in a place where I feel good about it and it's ready and other people have read it and they feel like it's ready. And so I'm going to get out and direct it because that's, that's me and that's who I want to be. I'm a writer director. But it's a, I think it's largely about identifying who you are and what you want to really be and do within this world of filmmaking. Okay, so you are a writer-director, but you also are the co-founder of Congested Cat. 
So tell us about Congested Cat and how it functions and why you all decided to get that started. So um, Congested Cat came about because I was making a short when I was a junior in college um, in 2011. And I wanted, and then I, but I was, I also had my sort of sights set on making my first feature, which was Summit, which I made my senior year of college, which was, you know, it's an extremely flawed first feature. Uh, I, and I made it on no money and I learned a ton from it. But um, I had my sights set on making that and I also was working on the short. And so I kind of wanted to brand everything under one umbrella. And I had, a couple of core supporters or rather collaborators that I really loved working with in school and knew that I would like to go on to continue working with them. And so it sort of started as just like a fun thing. We were like, this will be our brand. It's a silly name and it will be memorable. And I can tell you that seven years later, it has proven to be memorable. Um, it is. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. Um, and so, you know, we, we just sort of decided to do that. So we like started some social media handles and started sharing our, our experience of making the content under that. And then when I was crowdfunding for my first feature, I needed to incorporate the company um, in order to receive the funds and kind of be protected from liability and everything. So that's when we really got serious about it. And we were like, okay, we are going to be a production company. We're going to roll out content. We're also going to be, a brand that supports other filmmakers and that eventually led to the creation of indie works our monthly screening series um, we don't screen our own work but we sort of function as like a monthly film festival screening the work of other local filmmakers and creating a free and open space for collaboration and finding of other peers and actors and, and all that kind of stuff and and so that's eventually what we became and what we are really known for now on top of our other our own work and so, you know, I just, I wanted to have something that would be not only my own branding, but would be reflective of the other people that work on the stuff that I put out. And that made, it made the most sense to have like a production company that all is all encompassing of all of our content and then also the screening series. So, you know, like the people behind all of this stuff is this general group of like five of us. I'm going to have to um, come to one of the screenings. You do it once a month, right? Yeah, once a month. Yes, I'm going to have the to come. The next one is March 13th. <laughs> I think that's a really good idea, and I think it's even better because I know, especially for indie filmmakers, sometimes you can feel like you're on an island by yourself. So I think it's yeah. great that you all are fostering this community where it's like, let me show your work, let let us let people know that you exist and your work exists. So I think that's really good. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, out of school, I didn't really encounter that anywhere. And I felt like, you know, why do I live in New York? And I don't know most of the filmmakers here. And obviously there are so many. And why isn't there any kind of space where we can actually see each other's work and discuss it and, and find people in a, in a way that isn't just like posting for, crew and cast like just constantly posting but it's more like late relationship building and so um that's really you know why i started it and, it and it has been really beneficial you know not for me too not just for the filmmakers that whose work we screen but also i get to meet my peers and and you know make the same relationships and connections and so 
it is it is great and, and it's always lovely that sometimes people will say that they met you know they met through indie works and then they went on to make you know three films together or each of them screened their own film in the first year and then you know two years later they're coming back screening a film that they worked on together and so that's always really lovely yeah I like that that's pretty dope yes that's going to be on my list so probably yeah that I think that's a good thing so I'm going to have to email you and find out like not for this month but next month so I can come and visit so that's a good thing okay that'd be great Okay, so everybody knows the wrap-up is what are you watching and what are you reading? Um, okay, watching. Oh, God, I'm watching so many things. <laughs> um, uh, does it have to be something that's currently? Mm-mm, currently you want. Nope. No, okay. Um, well, I just got caught up on um, the latest, the last season of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and Jane the Virgin. Those are two of my favorite shows currently on TV, created by women um, and have like really wonderful, flawed female characters. I don't know if you watch either of them, but um, I definitely recommend them. And I just read this book called Information Doesn't Want to Be Free. I like literally just finished it today. So Mm -hmm. I definitely think that um, you should check it out. It's all about art and copyright law and sort of it's making a case for why sometimes people who maybe pirate your work or who are replicating your work are actually allies um, and not people that you, you want to be at war with. And really who you kind of want to be, who you want to be at war with are the people that want to own your work and take it away from you um, and sort of not allow you any kind of back end data. So like distribution companies, Uh, but the people that are like fans who just kind of pirate work are not necessarily um, the bad guys. And it's a really brilliant book. And I actually, I think that all artists should read it because it's, it's, that's kind of part of the message that I just said, but a big part of it, or the main part of it is really an overview of what it means to be an artist in the internet age and how you can kind of not only survive, but thrive. Yeah, I definitely have to read that. Yeah, you should, absolutely should. I'm going to get it. It's so sad. I have so many books. If you came to my room, I have so many books stacked up, but that sounds like something I need to bump up to like, the top of my list to read. That sounds good. I'm going to have to get that. And I do watch Jane the Virgin, but I'm so far behind. Like I need to just binge. I love it, but I'm just so far behind. It's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you for being on the show. But before you go, you have to let everyone know how they can keep up with you. Social media, websites, and how they can even support any projects that you are currently working on. Sure, thank you. So uh, christinaraya.com links to all of my social media handles. I'm at craya9 on everything, but if you just go to my website, you'll find everything. And congestedcat.com has sort of an overview of not only all my projects, but also in New York, it's where you can find out how to submit or how to attend. 
Okay. So, you know, guys, until next time, don't be about it. I mean, don't talk about it, be about it. Make sure that you are out there living your filmmaking dreams. No excuses. Just get out there and do it. And you know, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, at The Creative Outsiders. And you can go on our website. Um, It's thecreativeoutsiders.com. And I just want to tell everyone, thank you so much for continuing to support. Thank you for giving us ratings and feedback and just always showing love on social media. I so appreciate everyone. It definitely encourages me more than you'll ever know. So thanks again. And thank you so much for being on the show again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right.